0: Hi everybody, this is Tanya McCrory and welcome to the Daily Reflections Podcast. I don't know if there's anything in my life right now that I don't consider a blessing, even the most painful and difficult experiences. And I believe that absolutely nothing is wasted on the spiritual path. We are given exactly what each of us needs to awaken and to grow.
1: Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
0: And
2: I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia.
1: As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration.
2: We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview.
1: Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: Hey, Lee, who's in the studio today?
2: Very excited uh, today to have my friend, Tanya McCrory. She's from California and she's uh, here to share with us about the daily reflection for today, which is, by the way, May 21st, a list of blessings.
1: Fantastic. Tanya, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast.
0: It's so good to be here.
1: Terrific. We get started by asking the guests to read the daily reflection. Tanya, would you help us get started?
0: You got it. May 21st, a list of blessings. One exercise that I practice is to try for a full inventory of my blessings, as Bill sees it, page 37. What did I have to be grateful for? I shut myself up and started listing the blessings for which I was in no way responsible, beginning with having been born of sound mind and body. I went through 74 years of living right up to the present moment. The list ran to two pages and took two hours to compile. I included health, family, money, AA, the whole gamut. Every day in my prayers, I ask God to help me remember my list and to be grateful for it throughout the day. When I remember my gratitude list, it is very hard to conclude that God is picking on me.
2: Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you for reading, Tanya. Before we get started, would you share your sobriety date with us?
0: November 2nd, 2011. 11 to 11. Wonderful.
2: As you read this, and I know you've been contemplating it for a,
0: a while. What comes to mind first for you? Where to begin with those blessings? Uh, just before I, I came on, and I had another read of it. Something jumped out that time in reading it. What so often happens with the literature and in twelve-step communities—you read it all the time, and then you hear something new. But um, just now reading it, what really stuck—what stuck, stuck out—was the sound, mind, and body, because. There's so much darkness in our addictions, so much, and it just ravages our bodies and our mind. It just takes us down into the depths of hell. And to truly wake up with a sound mind and body, a sober, clear, healthy body and mind is number one, the greatest blessing, (laughs) I think. And so that, that kind of stood out to me. Now, the first time I read it, I started to try and think of how I could even begin to capture the feeling of the blessings that I've received here. And the truth is, I don't know if there's anything in my life right now that I don't consider a blessing. Because I think that even the most painful and difficult experiences are handpicked for me by my power. And I believe that absolutely nothing is wasted on the spiritual path. We are given exactly what each of us needs to awaken and to grow. At this point, I truly believe that everything that comes to be in sobriety is a blessing. Um, you know, and there's plenty that are a lot more fun to count than others. But I wouldn't trade in the suffering of my drinking or even the suffering in my sobriety because I gained so much wisdom from those experiences. So that's what came to me initially after reading it.
1: I love that, and I'm thinking about. The wisdom that you talked about that you gained through sobriety, do you want to talk a little bit about how you came to sobriety? What happened to bring you to the rooms in recovery?
0: I grew up in a big Irish Catholic family in San Francisco, and it was a really beautiful, wonderful upbringing. There wasn't a lot of money growing up, but there was a lot of love, a lot of affirmation. We were taught to swim upstream, to find our own way in the world, and question cultural norms, but trust God implicitly, and I'm so grateful for that now, to have had that spiritual foundation and to know to find my own way. But that wasn't enough to keep me sober. I started properly drinking at the age of 15. And right from the beginning, I had that allergy of the body and that obsession of the mind. I wanted more than all my friends were drinking. I drank till I blacked out. And for 10 years, that was manageable, maybe even 15 in retrospect, it really wasn't because I caused a lot of damage to myself and others right from the beginning. But the last 10 years were brutal. They really were. I became a heavy daily drinker. And the la- the very last year, I had, I would have to pray to God. My only prayer at that time was, please let there be some whiskey or brandy left so that I can get out of bed and go downstairs and make a coffee. I drank from morning till night. Hospitals and institutions are not part of my story, but incomprehensible demoralization is, including things like a lifetime ban from Delta Airlines (laughs) that involved a bottle of duty free whiskey and an Irish boy. And that's all I really remember. But those kind of things, alcohol seeping into every single relationship, every single job and poisoning it and, and slowly killing me and taking my life force away from me. So I came, I drank for 25 years and I I was living in Ireland at the end of my drinking, which is a good place to uh, finish up your drinking in Ireland. But I was drinking even more than the Irish. So at the end, I just drank alone because I was wasted by one or two when people were heading to the bar and that's in the afternoon. <laughs> So it was a very dark time and it was a challenging time because I was making my living as a professional choreographer and a yoga teacher. So those are hard jobs to do drunk. I remember laying on, a, I was living in a tiny little dollhouse on the west coast of Ireland and I was drinking every day, all day. And I remember laying on it, it, it the house had been given to me by a local bartender who said, look, I'm going this house is going to be under construction. So there's going to be walls missing and holes in the floor. And it was perfect for the end of my drinking because it was like it was falling down and I was falling down. And one day I was drinking whiskey from the bottle and it was like a little fifth and I put it down and it clanked against the, the previous bottle. And I was just surrounded by dirty plates of food and and bottles of whiskey and brandy. And I, I crawled to the bathroom and I pulled myself up. the bathroom sink and i looked in the mirror and i i was like just an absolute shell of myself and i looked up and i said please god help me please help me i know this is not what you want for me i know i'm still your perfect little girl please help me and within 48 hours i i made that call to my sister and said i'm i'm afraid i'm going to die from drinking And uh, she bought me a ticket and brought me home. And I went to my first AA meeting. So that's how I got here.
2: Wow, that's such a moving story. Thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. What was it like when you first got into AA? Did you get a sponsor right away? I
0: think the first year of, and I think this is an important message I try to share when I'm at meetings. My bottom was my first year of recovery. Because it was so incredibly painful. I took the medicine away and all of a sudden I was 40 years old. I was living in my parents' house. I didn't know anybody because I've been in Europe for the last 10 years. And I was in Ireland. I was a a well-known dancer and choreographer. And in California, I was a washed up alcoholic living at home. And I had no money, no job. And it was incredibly painful experience. And I would go to the, I would go to meetings and I would come, I, I was so broken and shattered that I would just go to meetings and come home and cry myself to sleep. And I just kept doing it because I knew no matter how painful and tender and awful the reconstruction of my life was, I couldn't go back. And I think I tried a few sponsors my first year and All of them seemed a little bit off to me. And in retrospect, I realized that was probably me, (laughs) but I took my one year chip at a Friday night meeting, which is now my home group. And there was a woman there who came up to me and said, have you done your steps? It's time. And she brought me into the fold and became my sponsor for the first five years. So I don't recommend it. It was a tough year. And I really do believe that the steps are the medicine in sobriety that we were looking for in the bottle before. So the first year was pretty rough. But that said, I knew you were my people. I knew it. I was like, these are my people. And that way I took to it like a duck to water. I was like, I belong here. And you had made it to the far shore of liberation. And I was trying to get there. And it gave me tremendous hope to know that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't a bad person. I was just an alcoholic. Yeah. So that was my first year. And and after that, once I started doing the steps, things really got better, go figure. And now I love it. and I've never had the, the desire to leave AA, but I have allowed myself to let my program change and shift. And I try to keep it very fresh. Sometimes I go to a lot of meetings. Sometimes I go to one meeting. Sometimes I'm sponsoring a ton of women. Sometimes I not so many. I haven't, I took a lot of, I think in the early days, it's a good idea, but I really believe that everyone has to find their own way here. And so I don't have a particular way that I make girls do anything really because I want that freedom for myself. I want AA to be something that shapes up in a real way, not in another thing I put on my to-do list.
1: Talk to us about the, the desire to drink. It seemed like it was pretty heavy when you were out there in ireland and and drinking, how long before you started to experience some freedom from that that push to to get drunk?
0: Almost right away. I almost felt the freedom right away because it seemed so miraculous. I was for twenty five years, I lived in shame and in shadows of my drinking and trying to cover it up and hide how much I drank and have a couple drinks before I went out with the girls so that I could have a head start and make sure there was a bottle of wine at home in case I still needed to drink more. and so, to come into the rooms and get a day and a week and a month. It was those blessings came quick and profound. It was a mm-hmm. profound blessing. And I knew it. I knew that I had stumbled on to the greatest human movement that I would ever be a part of, that something was happening in these rooms that was truly saving lives because it had saved mine. I wasn't drinking. And I was one of those people who tried everything. I went in and out of Buddhist and Catholic monasteries throughout my whole drinking. I smuggled booze into Thich Nhat monastery in Bordeaux, France, while I volunteered there for two months. I had two weeks worth of alcohol so I could wean myself. So I was desperately looking for that spiritual connection, but I was looking for it at the bottom of a bottle. And to actually get here and start to get a little bit of ground of sobriety from which all other blessings have come that that was that miracle came quick, so i didn't i haven't i've throughout my drinking I have had moments felt like having a drink, and that doesn't scare me. It comes and goes like anything else and and I play the tape and but for the most part, I am free.
2: I love that life of seeking prior to getting sober and either looking for it at the bottom of the bottle or looking for it even maybe in the right places, but because of the addiction, really not being able to make solid connection with higher power. It says in the daily reflection, every day in my prayers, I ask God to help me remember my list and to be grateful for it throughout the day. When I remember my gratitude list, it's very hard to conclude that God is picking on me. And I wonder if you would share with us about God in your life or your higher power and maybe how that journey has unfolded for you in sobriety.
0: Yeah, it's everything I ever wanted. In my drinking, I would, I would party with friends and be drinking and do speed and stay up and read Sufi poetry. (laughs) You know, I wasn't going, (laughs) I wasn't going to the nightclubs. I wanted spiritual connection. I wanted to devour life. And part of that booze felt like it helped. It was like, wow, I turned the volume up. And, but of course it, then it inverts and it starts to devour you. And, and it takes away everything that's of goodness or God. And so really, that was maybe the second great blessing was that I got to finally really truly connect with that spiritual life I had longed for. When I was a child, I used to pray every night to Mother Mary, if you appear to me, I'll become one of Mother Teresa's nuns. <laughs> And I became an alcoholic instead. God had a plan because I get to do that. And I think the reason I prayed was I wanted a life of meaning. I wanted my life to count for something. And I thought if I became a nun and served the poor, and then of course through AA, you do, you get to serve in that same way. And that's, that's, you know, the other gigantic blessing, but I'll get to that. So coming in and letting my mind clear and letting my heart begin to soften and open and doing the steps which allow you to let go of the past, let go of the shame, see the character defects that are blocking you from your higher power, make the amends, do that daily 10th step inventory, and then really begin to find out what works for you. I, Lee, I think it was you when I heard you speaking. Somebody talked about growing up Catholic and then being able to reconnect with Jesus. I had found my, my path in a Buddhist practice, but I now really feel coming up on 10 years that the ocean refuses no river. My Christian practice, my Buddhist practice, my yoga practice, my service practice, they all bring me to God. Not Han says, every act done in the sunlight of awareness becomes sacred. Every act becomes sacred. We can just simply stop and really listen to the person in front of us. And if that's not God, I just got chills all over my body thinking about that, just truly being present to another human being. So for me, the God of my understanding is it manifests both in the private places I go within myself, but also just my daily living with others. Am I being kind? Do I have a sense of wonder? Am I still amazed that I can turn on the faucet and beautiful, clean running water comes out? And then I get to put my head on a beautiful pillow next to my husband who I met in sobriety. Do I still, am I still amazed? That's spiritual practice. I think people get really confused when they come in and they feel like they have to find something, but it's already within us. Sobriety gives us that sacred connection to the kingdom of God within. And all we have to do is is slow down and be with it. You don't have to go seeking. That said, at six months sober, a dear friend said to me, he knew that I had a background in Buddhist practice and so did he. He was like 75 at the time. He was really cool. He, uh, he said, hey, there's a meditation group close to your house. You should go check it out. And I didn't have a car. I couldn't afford a car. And I it was close enough that I could walk. And I walked to this meditation group and I sat down and there was two Buddhist teachers there, a husband and wife. They're ordained Buddhist monks. And I've been with them every Tuesday night for the last 10 years. So I do have a structure in that sense. I try to show up every Tuesday. I sometimes now teach that Tuesday night meditation when I'm spiritually fit enough. <laughs> and so I think some structure, I do do recommend that I, for myself. I recommend it to myself. Hey, you might want to do a morning reflection, but it, it doesn't have a solid shape. It shapes up the way it needs to according to the schedule of my life or the needs of my heart. So it's very strong. It's at the forefront. And I honestly, I think the main practice that I have is that I I really believe that nothing's wasted on the path and that whatever I'm given is the path and to trust in the okayness that comes with being sober, that I am okay. I'm going to be okay. And that love is always the answer and to work my way back from there. So I could go on and on about spiritual practice. I love it. It's outside of service. It's the thing that brings me most joy.
1: Yeah. And I think so many seek it. And you made mention earlier to another blessing around service. Do you want to talk about your service life? Yeah,
0: we've all experienced this. I think anyone who's stuck around the rooms for any length of time, when you see somebody who's in the hell of active addiction or even in the hell of early sobriety and they're just in so much pain and confusion and you can walk up to them and say, Hey, I know where you, I know where you are. I've been there and take my hand. I'm going to, I'm going to guide you out of here. I'm going to show you a place where you can be free and be happy. That's, that's like a superpower and all of us have it as recovered alcoholics. We have the ability to reach into someone's life at the worst moment of their life and say, I can help. So that also I had a, my, my sponsor was wonderful my first five years and the sponsor I have now they're both very active in service. And somebody said in a meeting, service starts where convenience ends. <laughs> and it's really true. I don't want to take most of the calls from my sponsees. But I have learned through experience that when I stop my day, or whatever I'm doing to take that call, I am inviting God into my life in that moment. And I always say, please, God, speak through me. And then to be able to maybe guide someone, not from a place of ego, but from a place of spirit, and my heart talks to their heart. It's The blessings that I receive from that are a thousandfold to what I give. So I do love sponsorship. It's the bright spot in my life. And here's something. When I came to at the age of 40, I realized that I had drank away my chance at having a baby. And that was a painful realization. But I know now that God has me exactly where I'm meant to be. And these women that I get to be a part of their lives are I get to be a spiritual mother to them and share in so much of their lives of their. I married one of my girls, but she got married. She asked me to be the minister and to watch them have babies and to be beautiful moms or to watch them make amends and heal the relationships with their family. It's It says in the big book, it's something you don't want to miss. And it's true. It's really something you don't want to miss. It's extraordinary. It's a really big part of my life. And my husband supports it. He knows uh, that when we're, we work together and we run a business together, and when I'm on the phone, he, he makes time for that. So I'm lucky that way.
2: I get mesmerized by listening to you. I love what you're saying about sponsoring other women. It's the greatest gift of of my sobriety for sure to look at another woman and say me too let's it's going to be okay let's do this together i love to say we're walking each other home mm-hmm. and and it's funny my sponsor cuz i've definitely called my sponsor whining and crying about these ungrateful sponsees sometimes and she's that's why they call it service and i'm yep. like i don't even know what that means but okay like <laughs> i'll just keep doing it but yeah. and then of course it always turns out to be such a a beautiful experience and something I learned from, I think more even than they do, but this has just been such a beautiful conversation, Tanya. We're going to have you back. I hope (laughs) and you'll come back. And as we begin to wrap up the episode, it's so obvious that you've had so many blessings. I'm just wondering if there's any advice that you would have for a newcomer or somebody maybe thinking about dipping their toe into recovery.
0: Oh, it's just the greatest, one of the greatest gifts you'll ever give yourself is to not only be able to live a life without drugs and alcohol, but to be able to live that life with a design for living that will never, ever let you down. The people in AA will drive you crazy from time to time, but the steps will never let you down. And there's something that, you, it's a true refuge. It's a refuge from every storm in your life, from every fear and karmic patterning. It's, you get it all here. It's all here for the taking, for fun and for free. And it's, it's incredible. It's the greatest recycling program on earth. What was so freely given to me gets passed on and passed on. And if you're just encourage you to stay close and to ask for help, to put your hand up and share your experience and let us know you because you'll get more love than you know what to do with. So this has been wonderful, you guys. Thank you so much.
1: Tanya. thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been a great conversation.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Mike. Beautiful. Thank you, Tanya.
1: Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day. This podcast produced by Lee McGinnis and Michael Lynn. Audio editing services by Jeff Bain.